discovering what you love and creating a life around it. Welcome to Living in Your Passion Place with Luca. He's a 12-time marathon Ironman and ultra-marathon finisher, the co-founder of the Ohana Kane Project, which mission is to build positive men's community by way of fitness and service. He's a corporate wellness and citizenship advocate at a management consulting firm. He's a regional athlete versus epilepsy ambassador for the Epilepsy Foundation. He's a Lululemon ambassador. He truly believes the best things in life occur outside of your comfort zone. He's John Marino, and he's living in his passion place. My passion place uh, is really an area surrounded around uh, fitness, community, and service. Uh, community being friends, family, uh, just like-minded folks. Service being, you know, figuring out a way to do something greater than yourself. And um, fitness is just moving, moving forward, sweating, doing something that's going to, um, you know, promote some sort of healthy lifestyle. Hmm. That's, that's really my passion place. Has this always been um, your passion place or part of your life? Um, probably not always, uh, probably mid twenties started adopting that kind of behavior. Community has always been a big part of my life. I've always liked to be surrounded by, uh, like-minded people. Um, you know, I subscribe to the motto that a rising tide lifts all boats. So if you surround yourself with a good community, you'll naturally, uh, rise to their level. Um, so, but the other, the others, I mean, fitness, I guess, you know, since 15 and onwards, but like really ingrained in fitness, probably my mid twenties. So, yeah. Hmm. I love that quote. <laughs> there, no, seriously, yeah, there, there's power in community. Um, so why is community, why are like a group of people, why is that a passion to you? How does that make you feel when you're surrounded by, by that? Um, you know, I like connection. Uh, so I know for me, I value connection. You know, we were connected through people and we, we have an opportunity to sit across the table from you. Um, so I like seeing, uh, connections take place. I, you know, at work, I like kind of coined myself a strategic dot connector at a management consulting firm. That's what my, uh, my, um, my LinkedIn says. And it's, uh, it's because there's just so many gaps and, we all have so many similarities, but we just don't see the overlap because there's not many people that connect gaps. So I like uh, seeking gaps, finding similarities, and having a conversation and um, and figuring out a way to connect with people. It makes us all feel good. Like, in my opinion, I don't, I can't speak for everyone. Yeah, it really does. I, yeah, there's something about yeah the the power of connection. So for the work that you do, um, is that your passion place or? Have you brought your passion place to that? I would say more of the latter. So I work for a management consulting firm, a global consulting firm, you know, 5,000 employees. I manage a business development team. Um, where I can incorporate my passion place within that business development team is I look at it more as like human capital management. So it's not like I'm driving my folks to hit a quota so then I can further accelerate my variable or commission pay. I look at folks um, at where they came on board at and how we can coach to get them to the next level. So what can I do to be of service to you to ensure that you're propelling your career forward? And then that, again, goes back to the initial quote that if my team of eight individuals succeed and move into different roles, naturally that means 
I'm being successful without a way of needing to promote it myself. Um, in addition to that, I've you know I've I've worked uh, as a corporate citizen, corporate citizenship ambassador and um, like a corporate wellness advocate. Um, so I've been able to kind of combine everything in. Um, you know, all of my passions in my workplace, albeit my work is a, you know, I'm a, I'm a corporate person, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not someone who's in the fitness space, you know, um, from a monetary, you know, perspective. Hmm. And why do you choose to still do the job you do and bring your passion there versus doing something that's like totally in fitness or totally in community? Or do you feel that is what you brought to your job? I feel it's my life. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I no longer segregate work and life. Like, you know, I'm not a a punch the clock guy. That's like, I can't wait to get off, you know, get off work so then I can do the things I enjoy doing. If I can do my day job, um, work well with others and, you know, still kind of figure out a way to weave my, my passion into it all. Like work isn't work. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, fitness is fitness is a hobby and a passion as well. It's it's all it's all one, like it's all one, uh, and for me at least. And everyone has a different a different path of pursuing it, um, but for me, it's all one. And I don't want um, it, everyone has a different path. And for me, um, I want to work with people in a fitness capacity, but I don't want to seek monetary gain from it. I want to do it because. Um, we're all of the same mindset and we can get together, we can sweat together. Uh, my buddy subscribes to the quote of, you know, sweating c- together enables better connection. You connect better. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all one. Yeah. I don't think I've he- heard that in a long time about how you just see your life as one, you know, it's so easy to have the, this is my work life. This is my family life. This is my passion life. And you just see it as one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. So um, you having like this passion of community and fitness, um, I think it's been a year since you started the Ohana Project. Um, Explain what that is and how that evolved. Yeah. So uh, the Ohana Kane Project, uh, myself and Ryan Green uh, co-founded it um, probably 16, 18 months ago. Uh, Evolution of it really took place because we worked out a lot together. We had a community of folks that we worked out with together, and we often noticed that there was a lot of outliers. Um, in in our community that we would kind of look to pull in. Uh, it's really a men's-oriented community because um, it's no secret that, like, if you're in a group fitness class with, uh, you know, a gender-neutral group fitness class, like, motives can shift a little bit pretty quickly. Uh, but if it, surprising, surprisingly, if, if you're in a, a group fitness class where everyone identifies as a male, um, ego kind of drops and people become more vulnerable. And you really connect on a different level. Um, so we essentially what we do is we we go from uh, you know fitness facility to fitness facility, whether it be Nike, Barry's Bootcamp, SoulCycle, etc. Uh, we 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 source from the facility and or a particular member of the group a nonprofit or charitable organization that they'd like to put forward as a platform. And then we charge the cost of fitness because the facilities likely donate. We charge the cost of fitness at, you know, a minimum of 25 or $30 to come in. And then we donate all of that money to that individual to then put forward to the charity on their behalf. Um, you know, our most successful event was $5,000. A member of the, mm. the group uh, 
uh, had leukemia, and he wanted to uh, put forward uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and we were able to raise $5,000 through a CrossFit event. Um, it's been great. I mean, we've had so many great connections, um, connections by way of like us getting together, you know, meeting each other, like folks kind of, you know, going offline and not having to have it brokered through Ryan or I. And, and, um, and it's just been absolutely, it's been absolutely pleasant thus far. So what inspired you to do this? Cause I know you're very busy with your work. The, uh, the inspiration behind it is, um, you know, for the past seven years, I've been uh, I've been running the Chicago Marathon um, on behalf of. In the last six of the seven years, I've been running on behalf of Lurie Children's Hospital, and I realized that that mission, the the last six marathons, have been the most significant races I've done in in my life, um, because it was about something greater than me. Um, you know, raising awareness, raising funds. I got the opportunity to connect with people and understand their story when asking for fundraising. You know, people I never even you know, I hadn't connected with in years would reach out to me and say, thank you for doing this. My daughter was treated at Lurie's and I barely knew this person. I knew this person through like a family friend and, and, you know, they saw it. So it it felt significant, significant to be able to touch people that I wouldn't have otherwise touched and, um, selfless as well. And, um, like many people, I mean, I can be the most selfish person in the world. So if I could figure out a way to get out of self, um, I often feel better. Uh, and then Ryan and I, you know, we've been friends for a couple of years and we've always kind of bounced the idea of, of doing something. And, um, you know, we've bounced around so many different fitness facilities and, you know, we just thought this makes sense given our community, um, you know, and he's, uh, he's a service oriented man in a different way. Um, so we just thought it made sense. Yeah, and I, I know we chatted about it before, and I love that you guys said that a lot of men come together around alcohol or whether like some type of socializing. Mm-hmm. So was that an importance of you wanting to create something, a space to come together outside of that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so candidly, I'm, I'm you know, four and a half plus years sober. Um, you know, I, I drank, uh, as I'm sure many people do, in excess. Um you know, throughout college, but then the, you know, eight years post-college up until I was uh, two months out from being 30, um, it was still the same for me. Um, so we thought of shifting the traditional networking, you know, forum. Like, you know, you think networking, you think like, let's show up at an event that we paid $10 to get to and let's run straight to the bar with our ticket for a free drink and let's hang out there all, all <laughs> evening and let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's endure conversations that are often broken promises and let's never follow up with folks and empty out our business cards, um, the next day and just toss them into the trash. <laughs> um, and we thought like, well, how did we connect? We connected at a gym. How did, you and I connect, you and I connected at a non-alcohol event. How did, you know, how do we all connect, you know, these days? Uh, You see like LinkedIn articles published from the journal, like, you know, SoulCycle is the new, uh, you know, the new happy hour. Like, you know, you see businesses go out together and, you know, that's the way that they market now to their audience because we're we're in a health forward landscape at the moment. So why would we want people to just come out you know, when they can ditch their significant other to come out and grab drinks and, you know, you do that on, you know, let's, let's do something different. Yeah. Because I feel, and tell me if you feel the same, that life is so much fuller through those deep vulnerable 
connections that aren't surface. And I feel like a lot of people agree. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, alcohol and, and other substances are such a crutch um, that the conversations oftentimes are, are very meaningless. Um, and this is all, everything I say is just in my experience. Um, a hundred percent of my experience, a lot of meaningless conversations. And, um, you know, when you don't have that crutch, you don't have that social handicap, like you're, you know, you're a little bit more uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, you could potentially be more vulnerable. Hmm. That's just in my opinion. Hmm. So what do you feel like connection is, um, before you were sober and after you're sober? I mean, connection before I was sober was anyone that wanted to drink with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Connection, um, you know, in sobriety for me is uh, the ability to be on the same page with someone, the ability to share space with someone, the ability, you know, like our car right up here, the ability to just have uh, an interactive conversation where um, I'm interested in what you have to say and you're interested in what I have to say. And you know, we're both interested in moving forward. Um, and it's just not a meaningless relationship. It's a symbiotic relationship. We're exploring ways we can help each other. I'm like, uh, you know, I want to figure out ways I can help people prior than like, uh, rather than like a quid pro quo. Well, I did this for you, so then do this for me. Or you did that for me, so now I'm in your back pocket. I'd rather have just figure out ways to help people and let's create a symbiotic relationship. And so that's called being friends. Hmm. So, John, what sparked your move across the country? Because I know that you, did you grow up in Chicago? Is that where your whole life was and you've recently moved here? What sort of sparked that? Yeah. Uh, Chicago, born and raised, you know, I went to school, uh, born and raised in in a suburb just outside of Chicago. went to school at Northern Illinois University, uh, about 70, 80 miles uh, outside of Chicago, and then moved to the city afterwards. Typical trajectory of anyone who, you know, went to the Big Ten, Mac, or any Midwestern school. Uh, Lived in the city, uh, worked in the loop. Uh, The firm I was working for at the time and that I'm still presently working for, uh, you know, upwards uh, on my seventh year here. we had a Los Angeles office. I had the uh, privilege of traveling for work to Los Angeles. I saw it. It really piqued my interest. And, um, you know, I was California dreaming, if you will, uh, <laughs> a cheesy line back then. Um, but making that leap wasn't something I was comfortable with. I mean, I lived a very comfortable life in Chicago. I had my best friends. I had my family. Um, I had everything I could have wanted. Um, but then I think once I got sober... Uh, I realized that the winter months were probably not for me. And Chicago, you know, the weather wasn't for me. My lifestyle shifted a little bit. And, um, you know, I sought a transfer, a voluntary transfer at work. And the rest is kind of history. I've been in the same place, uh, west side of Los Angeles in Santa Monica. Um, my, <clears throat> my L.A. anniversary is July 10th. Um, <laughs> Happy anniversary. Yeah, so four-plus <laughs> years later. Um yeah, I mean, I've I've been very fortunate and blessed uh, to have a community out here. Uh, it wasn't comfortable. Um, I think any move, anything in life, um, you really have to get outside of your comfort zone. But your comfort zone is elastic. Like, it stretches so quickly. And mm-hmm. once it stretches, like, it's limitless. Like, and I feel like 
I was comfortable before and I'd get to the edge of my comfort zone in the past and I'd be like, ah, I don't want to go outside of there. Um, but once you get outside of there, you're like, you're like, man, it's great over here. First time, maybe not. You do it, but once you do it once, you know, you can do it again. And then like, it just becomes muscle memory and you just keep, keep pushing it. I love that your comfort zone is elastic. Oh my (laughs) gosh. That is. So how did you create this mindset, John? Like, I'm bits and pieces of everything I've seen along the way. Like, I'm an attraction-driven person. Like, I see things that other people do, whether it's an individual on television or an individual that's conquering an endurance endeavor, whether it's, you know, service-oriented people, whether it's going to a children's hospital and, you know, just smiling. Um, Mm. I see, and just stuff like that just makes me want to be better. And makes me, again, want to get out of myself. Because if I'm living in John's life, like, I'm not living my life to my fullest potential. Um, So, you know, I I would follow, you know, I had friends of mine that would run marathons. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Can I run, I want to run a marathon. Uh, That just sounds unattainable to me at the time. Like, I was like, cardio for me was running one mile on the treadmill. (laughs) (laughs) And then walking around the gym afterwards. So I was like, I want to run a marathon. So I did a five-mile race. And I was like, "Mm, not enough. Half marathon. I was like, not enough. Marathon. Great. I was like, I got to do this marathon for something more now. And then, you know, 10, 12 marathons later... I'm like, I'm addicted. I need to keep running marathons. But my second marathon, I saw a guy who had an Ironman tattoo. I said, what is Ironman? Started Googling Ironman. I'm like, I want to do that. I'd never done a triathlon before, but like, I want to do Ironman. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, how do you get into doing Ironman? All right, I need to go up to Madison, Wisconsin, volunteer for 2012's Ironman. You know, volunteering was, you know, aiding along the course, giving out beverages and, you know, just cheering people on. Uh-huh. And then you wait in line for several hours the next morning and you sign up for, you know, the 2013 Ironman. Um, you know, there's 2,500 uh, allotted participants and, you know, it sells out mostly in person. So nothing, you know, you can't guarantee entry by signing up online. So I was like, I want to do this. But I don't know how to swim freestyle. So I signed up, (laughs) never had done triathlon, never have been able to swim freestyle. And I was like, okay, now I need to start figuring it out. Um, So I was like, all right, next day I'm going to start figuring it out. Like I'm not going to, you know, I was, I remember walking to the gym in Chicago winters. It was snowing, you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m. I was going to get lessons. It was pitch black. And, you know, I put on all these, you know, layered up just to, you know, drop down into jammers or a speedo and start learning how to swim and then come back home and get ready and go to work. And I don't know. It was just I, I saw things I liked and I wanted to do. And uh, everyone around me has inspired me. And I'm like bits and pieces of everyone I've met, every book I've read. Uh, because you said you've read how many books? Uh, I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many books. I've just read a lot of uh, developmental books, a lot of business oriented books. Um, you know, my friends, I have some friends that uh, frown upon the fact that I listen to audiobooks. Um, you know, I'll lay in bed and, you know, if I'm not feeling like watching TV, I'll just turn on an audible, an audible book and, you know, put the time, sleep timer on to end a chapter. So I don't have to worry about figuring out where I left off. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just bits and pieces. I could read an entire book and if I got, you know, one sentence that's resonated with me and I can like take that away, that's... And 
I really loved what you said. You had no idea how to do this, but how you figured it out was just doing the damn thing. (laughs) You know, and I'm thinking about like a few people have asked me like, well, Luca, how are you going to make a living as doing uh, a podcast? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm just doing the thing. And by doing, I'm learning and it's just happening. (laughs) You know, I feel like that's the only way is doing it. Yeah. I mean, we can all sit on the sidelines and try to, uh, best prepare, but at the end of the day, everything we prepare for is probably not going to be the scenario that we're going to ultimately face. So you just got to dive in, just get in the trenches and just figure, I mean, for me, I just get in the trenches and just figure it out. If I'm going to try to, you know, write a, uh, you know, figure out a timeline, create a script and all that stuff, like it's very difficult to, to stick to that. And it's, it can be rigid sometimes, but I'm just, you know, jumping in the trenches and figure it out. Yeah. Action-oriented. Hmm. I agree. Cryozone is my favorite place to recover my body. Between my personal workouts and teaching indoor cycling at Cycle Bar, my body tends to be pretty darn sore. Cryozone's cryotherapy treatment relieves any inflammation and muscle soreness I have and massively speeds up my recovery time. Now, this is only one of the many services they offer. They also have Normatec pressure boots, which feel like a 25-minute massage all over your legs, cryotherapy facials, and so much more. On top of that, the staff is so welcoming and down-to-earth, I feel like I'm hanging with my best friends when I'm there. Try three sessions at Cryozone for only $30 by going to bit.ly forward slash Cryozone Passion. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Cryozone Passion. And, and I also want to say congratulations because today you found out that you are an ambassador. Um, do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, ambassador for Athletes vs. Epilepsy. Um, you know, I've, I've had a few seizures, uh, one at 19, one at 21. Uh, they came on the back end of, uh, you know, excessive drinking episodes. So I didn't think much of them at the time. Um, you know, I'm 34 now between 21 and 34 when I started running of which I was incredibly embarrassed of. And I had visited, uh, physician, neurologist at Northwestern, you know, I was prescribed some anti-seizure medication. I was kind of in denial because when I thought seizure, I thought like, you know, convulsion on the ground, foaming of the mouth, whatever that may be. Um, So, you know, I took the medication for a week. I was like, oh, these things are still happening. So I'm going to move on. You know, years later, I move out to LA, uh, still embarrassed. I go to UCLA, uh, kind of the same thing. Uh, A few years after that, uh, which was the most recent, uh, you know, I, I, I received an MRI on December 30th. I got an EEG on January 11th. The EEG was done improperly. Therefore, I had a rescheduled date of January 28th. The reason why I was going through this testing is because the neurologist at the time had thought I may have a seizure disorder. So between December 30th and January 28th, uh, you know, there's January 24th, and I was on a run, a four-mile run. I was trying to accomplish four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Um, So a four-mile run, uh, my first four-mile run, that is, (laughs) about three and a half miles into it, 
um, my partial seizure would not go away, and it generalized to a grand mal seizure. Um, and what's that? It's uh, it's like a tonic-clonic, full convulsive seizure where you lose consciousness. It's typically what you think of when you think of someone having a seizure. Uh, I was very fortunate that uh, a friend of mine was actually coincidentally running by, and she saw me on the ground convulsing, oh and gosh. she called 911, and I woke up um, woke up in, in the stretcher, um, you know, with the with the uh, medics, you know, kind of shaking me saying, do you know what happened to you? You just had a seizure. Are you, you know, have you experienced seizures before? And at that moment I was like, well, I, you know, these did take place. Yeah, I've had two of these before. Um, and it changed my life for the absolute better. Um, and, you know, here we are today, uh, six months later, uh, in the process I've explored ways to raise awareness around seizures, epilepsy, um, I've underwent several tests, MRIs, uh, PET scans, uh, extended stays in the hospital, EEG bedside for 23 hours and 45 minutes for five days um, with the wires hooked up to me, um, cerebral spinal, uh, fluid draining, um, all sorts of stuff. But it's, I mean, it's one of the, one of my, one of my greatest attributes today because I, I learned so much through it and, um. We all endure different things, just how you endure them, I think. Um, but anyhow, long and short is uh, athletes versus epilepsy, you know, raising awareness uh, around epilepsy and seizure disorders. Um, you know, I think one in 26 folks will eventually develop some form of epilepsy throughout their lifetime. Um, you know, like myself and probably many others, we don't know what to do in the event that we come across someone that's having a, a seizure. But you could put yourself in a position to potentially save someone's life just by understanding a few simple things. Uh, like turning the person on their side, ensuring that their head is clear of anything that could potentially, um, you know, be of obstruction to the head. Um, you know, they they do not choke on their tongue. So, you know, keeping your hands away from their mouth because they will likely clinch where other people are like, you know, make sure their tongue is clear and like, you know, you're going to lose your finger. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a few simple things like that, you can potentially save someone's life. Well, thank you for sharing those because I had, I had no idea. <laughs> I, I would recommend going online and, you know, looking it up uh, a bit further. But um, at a high level, you know, there's there's definitely a few simple things uh, that you can do. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like this is just so prevalent um, in the community. Like we were talking about earlier, there is a Disney Channel star, 20 years old, who passed away from a seizure in his sleep, mm-hmm. you know? So with you knowing that, your life has the potential to do this. And my life, any of our lives aren't guaranteed. How do you continue to have this mindset? Because you could be the perfect person to say, you know, these are my circumstances and I let these circumstances dictate the kind of life that I live in a negative way, but you're one of the the most positive people. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Um, It's very kind. Um, It's the people I'm around that make me positive. Um, So... It comes back to facing fears. My comfort zone shrunk a little bit after uh, after I had my seizure running, doing one of the things I love so much. Like, it's very easy to be like, I'll never run again. And everyone around me said, well, perhaps you just don't run. Like, if these partial seizures take place while you run, perhaps you just don't run anymore. And then you live a seizure-free life. And I said, well, I, I, I love running. Like, I, I love running. And, um, you know, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm following, I always recommend follow physician's orders. Physician, you know recommend not driving. And, you know, my license was suspended. Uh, physician said, don't swim. I no longer swim. 
Uh, physician said, don't run until you do your hospital visit. And after you do your hospital visit, go back to life and, you know, kind of ease your way back into it and see how it works. So my first, my first run, so all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do a four mile run. Very similar to the first four mile run. But this time I want to end my run where I had my seizure. I wanted to face that fear quick. <laughs> and, I, and, I bet that was a fear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it absolutely was a fear. I mean, the last time I had gone on a run, I was taken away in an ambulance. <laughs> and it, you know, I was in the Gosh. emergency room. Um, so I was like, I've got to face my fear quick. Because if I let fear build up, it's just going to get bigger. And it's just going to continuously shrink my comfort zone. So uh, I, I can no longer run alone for a short period of time. I'm, you know, wearing a, a My ID bracelet where I, I hook my, um, all of my medication, every everything that's, um, you know, um, the, the disease and everything or the condition and everything is, is in my, my ID bracelet. So a first responder or someone can just come and scan it and see, okay, he has epilepsy, a seizure disorder. You know, this is not an atypical behavior. Um, so I was like, let me equip myself. Let me get a friend and let me go on this run. Uh, I felt bad for my friend <laughs> because she had to <laughs> she had run with the fact that, well, the last time this guy ran, he had a seizure. So, What an amazing, incredible friend. <laughs> uh, it's a mutual friend of ours. Okay. Uh, but she had to run thinking that the entire time, like looking over, are you okay? Are you okay? So I, I had a partial seizure that run. Um, the partial did not generalize. But, um, you know, moral of the story is I, I got the opportunity to face my fear. Um, I got to end where, you know, where the last run that I went on ended and, um, you know, it's just slowly chipping away. Like that wasn't it. Like that wasn't like, okay, I'm over it now. Like I'm going to, you know, it was just slowly chipping away. Mm. Like we all get in fear and, you know, we think we're thinking about something 24 hours a day. And then the next day it's 23 hours and 59 minutes and the next day, 2358. So it's just slowly chipping away and just trusting the process. And that's, you know, that's what I've done with this. Hmm. So someone that's listening right now and they have a fear, whether it's, you know, something like you're going through with epilepsy or whether it's small or bigger, whatever it is, and that fear is stopping them from getting out of their comfort zone and taking that next step to something they're passionate about, where do you recommend them starting? Uh, fear paralysis is never a good thing. Um, it, it all depends on what the fear is. Like if it's an irrational fear, um, just do it. Just dive in. If it's a rational fear, uh, figure out ways to potentially mitigate the risk around the fear um, and then move towards it. Um, you know, I love the quote, move, to, move towards uh, fear regularly. Like, you just have to, you know, what's the fear? Is the fear, you know, you can't be afraid of something just because of the fear of failure. Like, fail fast, fail often. Um, because those failures will, you know, be the marks of your success at some point. Um, so just do it, just do it. And again, unless it's something that's, you know, semi-rational, like if you're, you know, planning on, uh, scaling or, you know, free soloing El Capitan, like ensure that you're in the, uh, the best position to do it. Um, but if it's like, I'm afraid of, you know, starting, uh, I'm afraid of going to my first boot camp class because I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me because I'm not fit. Uh, most people are so in themselves, they're not going to think anything of you. <laughs> just do it. Just show up. Just show up. Just do it. Move towards fear regularly. Fail fast. Fail often. Um, and those will all both expand your comfort zone and uh, be scars in route to success. Hmm. Excuse me. Let me say that again. I want to talk a little more about like these irrational thoughts in our head 
that aren't real because I feel like a lot of us go through those, those stories. So do you have stories that are created in your head that aren't true? And how do you get through those stories? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, we all have a narrative that our uh, head portrays versus the the real narrative that's happening. Um, you know, I shared a quote with you, my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes. I'm a, I'm a quote guy. I was showing you my quote, my quote book earlier and my friends make fun of me because I'm a quote guy. But it's, you know, if you can relate what someone else has, has done and has been through and it, it meant it was as significant to them as it is to you and it's, you know, on the Internet, like it's irrational. <laughs> like someone else has been there. Like you are not unique. Um, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Mark uh, Mark Twain quote. Uh, it's I have been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. So our minds tend to go to worst case scenario right off the bat. Like you can, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I cite Google a lot and, uh, you know, it's often like as credible as citing they. Well, who's they? Um, they post <laughs> oh this on Google. Um, so true. But you'll see, on, you know, if you look up many articles, like, I don't know, humans, we we have 30,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Uh 80% of them are repetitive day over day. So we have, you know, 20, 30 unique thoughts each day, um, of which I'm sure a higher percentage of those thoughts are negative. Um, so we're like wired to think worst possible scenario versus best possible scenario. And I am no different. Um, I just choose or attempt to shift my thinking to positive through doing things like a gratitude list, through surrounding myself with things that make me feel good, scents that make me happy. I don't surf, but I love the smell of surf wax. I'll buy, <laughs> I'll buy surf wax candles. Um, I love sunshine. I'll get out for a simple bike ride. I love sunsets. I'll walk down and see a sunset. I like fresh air. You know, the best antidepressants in the world are free. Um, sweat, community, fresh air, sunshine, um, you know, just laughter, um, that's, that's all free. Um, granted you may not have all of it in one day, but we can seek it all every day. Um, so I seek things that make me feel good because then it allows me to shift away from the negative narrative quicker. And if I can shift away from the negative narrative is a black hole, it doesn't end. Like you don't reach a bottom and you're like, okay, I'm done thinking now. <laughs> like, Dang, you're it, speaking. it doesn't end. Uh, the negative narrative is a black hole and the positive narrative is really hard to achieve. So if you can shift your thinking and just latch on to that positive narrative and, uh, yeah, I mean, my brain's like the stock ticker. Like it's just boom, 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 boom. Like it's moving. And, uh, a lot of those are negative. They're in the red. Um, but I want to latch on to the green ones. I want to latch on to the positive. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. And it makes me think of like, what are we feeding ourselves? You know, what are you feeding yourself? What am I feeding myself in? And I think about like you talking about candles, surf wax, <laughs> the small things. Like, you know, these last couple weeks, um, just to be real, my headspace hasn't been where I want it to be, but I'm reflecting right now and I'm like, I know to fill my cup, I need to go to church regularly. Have I been going? No. I know I need to read something positive every day. Am I? No. And I'm letting these negative, this black hole take over. And I, I have the choice today to be like, you know what? I can continue that or I can just do these small things, these cheap antidepressants to get me to where I want to be. Absolutely. 
Like I'm a firm believer in like, even before I leave my bedroom, I can accomplish a few things every morning. I can make my bed. I can say a prayer. I can potentially meditate. Uh, I can do a gratitude list and I can open up my blinds and let the light in. Five things every day. And I I have not even left my bedroom. Your five things may be different. You know, you may only have one thing, but um, that's what I choose to do every day. And that's me getting my day on off to a good start. It takes mm-hmm. 60 to 120 seconds. And, um, you know, if you can create time for small habits, uh, you'll learn that you can create time for, for larger habits. I, I'll tell you what, we all certainly create a lot of time for overthinking and negative thinking, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> you know, and habits, and that makes you think of the dang compound effect. I don't know if you've read Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, but it's such a small concept of repeating these small habits, good or bad, over a period of time is going to lead you to this positive place or this black hole. Which do you choose? Yeah. You know, and it's like, for example, like for me, like chasing like my current passion of this podcast. When I first started, I'm like, I have no idea how to do anything with sound. I don't know a lot of people in L.A., so many different things. And I'm like, okay, well, let me just start. And I'm going to ask my friend who knows about podcasts. And every day I was doing these small things. And it just, I'm so grateful for like how we met. It was a, a podcast event where it was 60 plus people. Um, it just really impacted me. And I'm glad we were able to meet through it. But when I started this five months ago, I had no idea I was going to create that. But it was that compound effect. Absolutely. Uh, you know I'm a quote guy. You know I'm my notepad. I have a quote. Yeah, um, by the way, he has in his phone, what's it called? <laughs> uh, I, I just use a notepad, just a notepad that says quotes to inspire. And, and how I have, many quotes are on that? Oh, I mean, there's got to be hundreds. Um, but I, I can, love uh, that. He's I scrolling can fi- through them right now. I can find a quote in here. Uh, it's, it's something along the lines of, if you take care of the ma- micro, the macro will take care of itself. So control the variables you can control and the results will come. Uh, typically what we do and what I do as a human is I go straight to the results. Uh, if when you had this podcast idea, you went straight to how am I going to get to this place right now? You know, this is a great space. You know, you're recording a podcast back to back, like how am I going to get to this place right now? It would create a lot of anxiety. But if you took, if we just take care of the micro, take care of the small things, let me eat well today. Let me go to the gym today. Let me do this today. A year from now, things are going to happen based on what we did each and every day. So take care of the micro and the macro will take care of itself. That is not my quote. None of these quotes are my <laughs> quotes. Um, that one might be, um, that one I might've got from Aubrey Marcus's book, uh, own the day. Um, but again, it's just pulling a little bit, a little bit from a lot of sources. I'm thinking about this, exactly what you said. And it's been on my mind a lot this week. I've been reading it in a book, how results are something that I want to go to. It's like, I want to be there at the result, but in this book that I'm reading and we've talked about it a little bit, it's all about the process. So how do you live your life enjoying this process? Because as we know, most of our life is in the process, not in the results. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is stay out of the results, stay out of the results, endure the process. Um, everything's a process and through the process, you fail so much and failure is nothing more than learning. Uh, we think learning, we think classroom, we think notebooks, we think number two pencils, and we think a regimented schedule that we have to abide by. Um, I learn most when I fail. Mm. And the process is 
failing and adjusting, failing and adjusting. Um, that's what the process is. Um, and I respect the process and I love the process. Anything that we do, mm. you know, we're, the, the finish line is never going to come. There's always going to be something more. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we're always wow. seeking something more. Um, you know, you've got this podcast happening right now. But, like, is this the finish line for you? I don't know. Yeah. We, we always want more. So it's just the process. This is just part of the process, you know. And it's just appreciating the process um, and respecting respecting failures. Like, if I'm driving my car, um, which I'm no longer able to do, but if I am driving my car and I see a roadblock, am I going to stop my car and get out of it and be like, all right, I'm done for the day? <laughs> <laughs> what if we all did know? <laughs> or if I see a detour, like, am I like, nah, I'm done. If I run over a rock, I'm like, all right, I'm done. Or get a flat tire. I'm going to turn this car and it's over. Like, what a freaking good analogy. No, why, why the hell would we do that? We got somewhere to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we got a goal to chase. We have a goal to connect to, a passion to be with. Exactly. And uh, in, in many areas of life, we rush to get there. Um, but when it comes to something we want to achieve or a passion of ours, we fear the process and we want to get to the results so quick. I embrace the process. Um, the process is the best part of the journey, in my opinion. Okay, so somebody that's in their career like you and very successful in their career, and it may not 100% be their passion or it may not even be their passion at all, how can they bring their passion to their career like you've done? Or what are some steps that you've taken to bring wellness, fitness, community in your career? Um, a lot of it for me was just being unapologetically myself. Um, I felt like I had to be different people in front of, I felt like I had to be a different person in front of different people. Um, and when I got really comfortable with who I was, I was able to overlay aspects of my life. Initially, the initial overlay was, you know, very small. But then when you're comfortable with the initial overlay and you see that people know who you are and they accept you for you and you accept you for you, um, that overlay grows a little bit to the point where it's just, you are who you are. You're your authentic self in every aspect of your life. Um, and, you know, you're always going to have a unique relationship with certain people, but there's certain things that you say or do that people are going to know are you. Whether it's I say or do something at home with my family and it's quoted around my friends and it's quoted around my workplace. Everyone should know that that's you. And once you do that, you have the ability to make an impact across all things that you participate in life. My opinion. I love that. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, it's just if connection is somebody's passion, how can you bring that to every single person you come in contact with at your work? Because that's just who you are, you know? Yeah. I mean, I seek opportunities to be of service. If you're willing to be of service and connect people and, um, you know, like connectivity is a passion of mine and I work with many different business segments and, you know, I see there's potential overlaps across segments, but those folks don't even know each other. Like, let me be of service and I'm not expecting anything of re from in return for this, but let me figure out a way to connect you with this person. And then from there, I've just triangulated something that's like a little micro community um, of the three of us. 
and it could be seven of us and it could be 10 of us. And it's just connecting folks that are like-minded and you build out these little communities and then the communities grow and the tribes grow like a Seth, uh, Seth Gooden book or Seth Godden book, like, you know, tribes, like, you know, you just create these tribes and, um, they're just going to continue to grow. It's not, there's no, I'm not a ruler of any tribes. I'm just a member of tribes and, um, you know, you don't get any, you know, royalties for being a founder or for being a connector. It's just something that you enjoy doing. So just seek opportunities to be of service to others and connect others that are like-minded. Um, and you build out that community. That's an organic community just hmm. by connecting people based on conversations that you're having with others. Now that's your community. Hmm. That's how, I mean, that's how we were connected. Yeah. That's how I was connected with a lot of folks in my community now, Lululemon community, um, fitness community, Barry's Bootcamp community, like just through other people being of service to me and connecting me. You know, we walked into the building today and I was able to connect with someone in person at a fitness facility I hadn't known before. And uh, I had an email I could pull up and say, hey, such and such attempted to connect us in the past. He was being of service to me to try to connect me to you. And he's like, that guy's a great guy. I'm super excited to meet you. That's that's a new community that I didn't have before. Mm. See, and this um, brings me to, you know, you are who you attract, the five people in the room that surround you and your community. So is your community that, you know, if your passion is developing people, are people around you developing people? Do you feel that to be true? Absolutely. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. Like you're, behaviors are likely your behavior and your lifestyle is likely consistent with the people that are around you. Uh, granted you've inherited or you, you have folks that have been by your side your entire life and they may not live the same, uh, they may not subscribe to the same creed or live the same passion that you live. But at the end of the day, if my passion is community and I have someone I've been friends with since fifth grade and they're still my friend, um, but they do something totally different and they're not into community and they're not into that stuff. But in theory, they still are because they're my friend. They've been my friend for 20 years. So albeit I may not hang out with them every day, they're still part of my community. And albeit they may have not done anything to, you know, perceptionally contribute to my community, they, they have. They've been by my side. Uh, they may live a completely different life. But, um, you know, I think that if you take like the five to ten people that are closest to you, you'll find that um, – what they do and their actions are probably very consistent and aligned with yours and or they're very consistent and aligned with what you want or vice versa. Hmm. And, and do you feel, like this just goes into the concept of like support and a team. And do you feel that if it wasn't for a support and a team, you wouldn't be where you are? hundred percent. I'm a byproduct of everyone around me. Um, a, an absolute byproduct of people that came before me, people that I experienced things before me. Um, people that have shared knowledge through their failures, um, people that have encouraged me to move towards fear, people that have encouraged me to fail. I'm, I'm doing nothing unique but doing what other people have done and just trying to get uncomfortable every single day. Hmm. What excites you about your future and your passion place? <laughs> um, you know, I try not to go too far into the future, but, um, you know, I get excited about, 
you know, being with other people, traveling. I want to travel. I, I continuously, you know, seek opportunities to travel the world. I get excited about making an impact and a difference at, at work, whether it be shifting the behavior of one people or a hundred people. Uh, I'm excited about, you know, facilitating opportunities for folks to come together and connect and, you know, shifting the behavior of, you know, someone that may not have been comfortable doing CrossFit or may not have been comfortable doing yoga or may have had a perception of a certain type of fitness studio. Um, my commitment to service, you know, my, you know, those are things that I'm excited about. Um, and enduring friendships that I have with folks mm. and continuing to rise to the level of the people around me. So John, throughout this conversation, you talk a lot about what you're grateful for, your community, the experiences, the, the difficult ones, like suffering from seizures, um, how do you stay so committed to being grateful? Um, similar to the way we stay committed to anything. I think just practicing it every day. Uh, choosing to put on a different pair of glasses when I wake up. Like, am I going to wear the negative lens or the positive lens? Um, and I know the ROI there is great. Like, if I can commit myself to being grateful, um, you know, I'll be happier. I've, I've seen so many people in so many different circumstances that are so grateful for what they have and they have far less than what any of us have. And you hear like the, the lines, all the, like every cliche you've ever heard is likely true. You know, put everything in the center of the table that, you know, you are, you know, you don't like. And put all your problems in the center of the table and uh, let's be in a room of 20 people. You're likely to grab your problems back because you're grateful for the life that you have. And um, you realize that, I realize that, you know, my problems are just my perception of them. So if I can shift my perception and shift my perspective to gratitude every single day, I'll get more of the same. And it's the same thing if, you know, if we go the other way. Um, so gr gratitude is the biggest part of my life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, you know, I think oftentimes we take certain things for, like I take certain things for granted. If I can take a look, if I can take a step back and look at all that I have, um, that may not be tangible, just simple things. You know, I, I have the ability to laugh. I have the ability to walk. I have the ability to, I have the means to um, put food in my fridge, put clothing on my body. You know, I spend time in Africa and like you see people that have so much less. Um, and I'm not speaking universally, but, you know, I was in Tanzania and you see people that have so much less and they're so much happier. Um, and externally, they don't have the latest pair of shoes. They don't have the nicest, slimmest cut of jeans. You know, they don't have iPhones, um, but they're so happy. So I just don't want to take those things for granted. I don't want to take, you know, my ability to wake up, get out of bed, grab a cold beverage, you know, turn on the light, sleep with air conditioning. Like, I don't want to take any of that stuff for granted. So when you hear the word passion, what's the first thing you think of? Relentless pursuit. Something I'm willing to pursue relentlessly because it makes me happy. It makes me a better person and it is what I want. Um, that's what I'm, that's what we're all, that's something we're passionate about. Something we're willing to fail for, uh, a lot, endure a lot of pain around. Um, that's what passion is to me. Passion isn't, I'm passionate about the latest, you know, the, the, the best pair of shoes out right now, or, a, you know, a particular watch, like passion is like, something that I'm willing to dedicate my life towards relentlessly. 
We'd love to hear from you. Share your favorite parts of our conversation and how they're making a difference in your life with us by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or by sharing them on your social media and tagging at Passion Place Podcast. This really helps us get to know you and spread our mission to the world. We're excited to announce that our next community event in collaboration with the Ohana Project is coming mid-summer. Be on the lookout on our Instagram and Facebook for all the details.